welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we'll be talking about Your Next with the wonderful Akilah Green. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Your Next is a 2011 American slasher film, really a comedic slasher film. It's very funny. The humor is wry, but it's it's there. It's directed and edited by Adam Weingard. It's written by Simon Barrett. It stars Sharni Vinson, Nicholas Tucci, Wendy Glenn, A.J. Bowen, Joe Swanberg, Barbara Crampton, and Rob Morgan. I want to make a super quick correction. I refer to Joe Swanberg as the creator of the TV series Love, but I was talking about the TV series Easy. The plot concerns an estranged family under attack by a group of masked assailants during a family reunion. I love this movie. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Akilah Green has been on the show before. We talked about Set It Off earlier this year, and we just couldn't wait to have her back. According to her website, she's a writer-producer, recovering lawyer, and Emmy loser. (laughs) I laughed very hard when I read that on the website. Uh, Very hard. I love it. I love Akilah. She's written for Amazon's Yearly Departed, both seasons of HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show, Showtime's Black Monday, She currently writes for an Apple TV project that's being helmed by, maybe you've heard of him, Taika Waititi. So happy Akilah's here. This conversation was a blast. How are you doing out there in the world? How's it going? How's your life? Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Twitter. You are good pod. We'd love to hear from you. I'm in Los Angeles right now. Got to see our great friend Jamie Loftus uh, in a a play slash performance slash comedic anarchy called Nikki A at the Elysian Theater. It was wonderful. And Sarah is coming down and Sarah, Jamie and I are going to go see spooky boy Danny himself. No, that's That's confusing. We're not seeing the spooky boy Danny, Danny Gonzalez. We're seeing spooky boy Goblin King, Danny Elfman. (laughs) Just want to clarify for you, Danny Gonzalez heads out there. We know you're there because we are too. But we're seeing Danny Elfman at the Hollywood Bowl uh, as a celebration of the Halloween season. So I'm very excited about that. That is how I'm doing. But how are you doing? Again, let us know over on the socials. You, my friend, are good. You're doing it. Thank you for hanging with us. Speaking of spooky things, we have a list of our idiosyncratic spooky faves over on Patreon. It's free for all. You don't have to be a Patreon supporter. You don't have to have paid anywhere. It's free for you. We'll link it in the show notes. You can see the things we enjoy watching around these times and actually year round. It's not just horror it's uh, suspense, it's weird, it's WTF, it's all of the things that you could enjoy. And there is some really nice horror in there. There's 10 selections from Sarah, there's 10 selections from me, and it's illustrated with these fun little illustration slash tunes that Sarah uh, made for each of the titles. And speaking of Patreon, You Are Good is made possible with your support. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who supports us by subscribing on Apple. These are the ways that we pay our bills. We appreciate you so much. We are writers. We are artists. We are journalists. And we're glad that this is our job. We appreciate it so much. You make that possible. We appreciate you. And in return for your support, you get bonus episodes. We had a uh, a spooky bonus earlier this month for other recommendations of things to engage uh, to get into the spirit of Halloween. 
And next month, we have an episode on Working Girl. It's going to be awesome. And now a quick note from the other folks who help pay our bills, Dipsy. Are you feeling a little anxious and overwhelmed, these feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood. I know this. I have all sorts of feelings. I uh, get stressed out and I feel anxious a lot of the time and I need to work through that. And it can be hard to, you know, get in the mood as it were. With Dipsy, you can just focus on what makes you feel good. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. If you're feeling anxious and also want to feel a a different, better way... These are stories to check out. The stories bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. You can find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. What's your summer fantasy? A whirlwind romance in Italy? Getting wet, dancing in a warm rainstorm, or maybe an unexpected summer fling? No matter how you want to get steamy this season, Dipsy has a sexy story for you to indulge in all of your fantasies. You can hear these stories in the sexy voices of Sarunas J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, Luke Cook, and many others. In stories like you've never heard before, new content is released every week, So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, and now they offer written stories as well. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of You Are Good, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Y-A-G. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash Y-A-G, dipsystories.com slash Y-A-G. Thanks, Dipsy. We really appreciate that you're helping make this thing possible. All right, everybody, let's get into the episode. First, I just want to let you know, Carolyn told me that she's traveling right now and she doesn't have a piece of her equipment that she typically has. So the episode will sound just like a little different than normal, but it's still uh, highly listenable and extremely entertaining. (laughs) If I do say so myself as one of the participants in the conversation. So without further ado, you're next with Akilah Green. Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. I was thinking of something pithy to say along the lines with regard mm. to this movie, and I uh, came up with nothing. <laughs> no, it just speaks for itself. It's yeah, it's an easy breezy, uh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, massacre. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I'm so happy we're covering this. We're talking about your next today. And we're talking about that because we asked our special guest who is spending some time with horror movies for recreation and maybe other reasons. Uh, we asked our very special guest what they'd like to cover with us. And special guest, who are you and, and why are we talking about your next? Hi, I'm Akila Green and I am a TV writer, producer and a comedy writer in particular, but I am working on my first feature right now, which is a buddy comedy slash satire. And when I was 
starting to write it. I knew what I wanted the plot to be. It's based on a real story in my life. But genre wise, I couldn't figure out if I wanted to lean into comedy, which is what I'm most comfortable with, or if I wanted to try horror or is it thriller. And so I watched a ton of movies just to understand kind of tone and genre and like plot tropes that are necessary for each one. And in my watching of it, I've watched a bunch of horror movies and I end up watching Ready or Not. And when I watched it, I said, you know what? I think Sarah and Alex would love this movie. And they come to find out you guys had already covered it, which I was surprised because it's been made more recently than the movies you typically cover. But I did. Rare exception. Yeah. And so I DM'd you guys about it. And we started talking about horror and final girl tropes and that type of deal. You guys were talking about uh, movies for October. And Your Next is one of the movies that I had watched while I was preparing to write my own movie because it's the same kind of like, my movie is just like my lead characters have to escape a bad situation. So there's lots of blood and murder and mayhem, but my violence and bloodiness happens in act three. And your next is funny because it just kind of out the gate is bloody and it remains bloody the entire time, which is similar to ready or not. Yeah. I love it. Sarah. Yes. You hadn't seen this movie, so I'm excited to go there with you. And I am excited to hear your recap of this plot before we go there. I'll do my best. Yeah. It's funny. I hadn't even heard of this movie and Tellingly, I am currently doing my October horror movie watchathon, which I do every October, but which interestingly, I'm doing in a more focused way this time than usual because I am trying to gorge myself on horror movies and sort of and thriller and kind of get a sense of how that works and then try and dive in and draft a screenplay. So it's so cool to be talking about this with you and kind of as part of that process. Yeah. And In my log of horror movies, the biggest gap in time when I haven't watched anything before the early 30s is like 1999 to 2022. And the 1999 movie is Stir of Echoes. (laughs) So like I really have been neglecting more recent horror really forever. Like Ready or Not is a rare exception to that. And I have to go watch The Strangers, which I also haven't seen. But I have this prejudice against like the immediate wave of movies after the strangers that are like lazy home invasion movies, mm-hmm. I would say, or like someone's wearing a mask. Isn't it scary? And they're just standing there. Isn't that scary? And it's like, yeah, but like, what are you going to do with this concept? So I went into this movie with this attitude of like, you know, thrill me movie, impress me. And like, boy, did I have an amazing time. Like by the end, I was like, this is just like a ripping great slasher movie, I would say, which like slashers, there's so many bad ones. And when they're done well, they're like the simplest, most fun thing ever. And so this movie, we open with a couple who have disappointing sex and then get murdered (laughs) by some rando who writes your next on the window after killing the wife or girlfriend in time for the dude to see before he also gets murdered, which is great attention to detail. (laughs) I would not do well as a bad guy because I love cutting corners in everything I do. (laughs) (laughs) And I would be like, you know what? You're going to be dead in like one second. Who the fuck cares if I scare you? Who is this for? So after establishing that, we spend our initial kind of Back to character introduction, nobody's getting killed time, introducing a rich couple, and they're kind of okay, like, nice guy. (laughs) You can hear the emphasis I'm putting on that son and his Australian girlfriend. I've never seen an American movie with one Australian in it, and she's the final girl. It was amazing. (laughs) 
it's an interesting <laughs> choice, particularly when you learn her backstory. It's like, I wonder why they felt the need. Yeah. Like, we need an accent to sell this. No American <laughs> women can do this. They're idiots. <laughs> That's what I took from it. <laughs> I hate to give it this credit, but I think the only other movie I can think of that meets that description is Death Proof by Quentin Tarantino. I haven't seen that one. So that should go in, in hat or shit it. A one Australian woman, final girl. It just makes sense. You know, like every day in Australia is about survival. So yeah, every day in Australia is being raised in a survivalist camp. Yeah, because you just feel like, oh, what a nice flower. And then it like flops open and there's all these teeth and it bites your head off from what I can tell. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. I don't remember any of these characters' names. I don't remember how many characters there are. <laughs> Lots of couples. A lot of people get killed very close together. One person's name is Z. That's all I can remember. That is memorable. Yeah, this person looks like Jane Marie, who used to run the hairpin. <laughs> okay, so we have our like young professor couple and his Australian girlfriend who used to be his student. This is the second of two professor and student relationships in this movie for some reason. Yeah, this movie has it out for professors that have inappropriate relationships with their TAs. Yeah, fuck students. you guys. <laughs> there is, unfortunately, it's hard from the outside world to imagine that that's too much power differential because it seems like no power. But in academia, there's no power anywhere. So a little bit seems like a lot. That's how that works. <laughs> Sarah sparingly spends any time on social media where she can hear things that people who listen to these shows say. But you provide a lot of comfort and commentary to people who are still in academia by talking relentless shit about it. And Thanks. Like, <laughs> That's great to hear. Every time you do, people are like, thank you for just speaking to how insane the situation is. So some people are very satiated by what was just said. I mean, that's great to hear because I worry that I'll hurt the feelings of people in academia by erroneously suggesting that I think it's dumb to be there. And I don't. I loved it. It was like one of the best times in my life in many ways. And it also ground me to dust psychologically. <laughs> <laughs> many of my best times of my life did the same thing. So. Right. You're just like, look, I loved being in the cult. It was really great. And then I just had to leave. <laughs> there's, there's a, there are jobs where they pay you money. Yeah. And uh, they don't hassle you about it as much. And there's jobs where they pay you in magic fucking beans. And it's just like you're in an abusive relationship with the ivory tower. You're just like, could I have a little bit of money, please? And it's like, mm, maybe in four years. Totally. Oh, my God. So anyway, so what's ready or no, it's not ready or not. What's your next about? What's ready or next? The similarities down to the title. Like the title does the same dance coming out of your mouth. Yes. You're next. You're next. Ready or not. I will theorize that your next is sort of like leaning slightly into its own humor. And then that is taken up and made into fully blown parody by ready or not, but that your next is still like fully a slasher unashamedly, which mm -hmm. again is wonderful. I love slashers. Everybody read my heart is a chainsaw. I like too that this movie has at least two directors in its cast. Oh yeah. Who's the other one that isn't Ty West? <laughs> Joe Swanberg, who's the guy with the arrow in his back. What did he do? Yes. Did he do the mo this movie? Many, many, many things, including the great like three season series Love 
he's a prolific Chicago director. Yeah. Like what, what would you call it? Like indie mumblecore like <laughs> drinking buddies. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, an, he's a mum- mumblecore pioneer. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. And I also, I really thought it was Adam Brody the entire time. <laughs> and then I Googled it because otherwise I was very confident. Like, yeah, this is Adam because I didn't recognize it's interesting. And I don't know if you would recognize these actors, but there's not a one person whose face I recognize, no. which I thought was interesting for an entire film. Not, it was great. They didn't hang it on one and then I was like, you know, there's also like, it's possible that one of these people were, had been on 23 seasons of an NBC procedural. And I missed it. <laughs> the only person who had any recognition is Barbara Crampton, who's like an 80s scream queen. Oh, of okay. course. What was she in? She was in Reanimator. Oh, oh, did she, you know. Yeah. She yeah. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. know, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. Yeah, and actually, she was in a great. She produced very recently a remake of Castle Freak, which was really, really great. Barbara Crampton's like still in the game and really fantastic. But yeah, you're, to your point, Akila, like you don't, you're never looking at these people. And you're like, I know this guy from something, and it makes it difficult for me to be sitting at a table nope, with these people. Right. Yeah, it never happens. <laughs> yeah, so like these rich parents are having their kids and their kids' partners up for like their anniversary get together. I want to say there's like four brothers, no, three brothers and a sister, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's just like dementia 13. And they all have dinner. They immediately start arguing in a classic wasp fashion. They all hate each yes. other. Like all their relationships are polluted by decades of grinding resentment. And as they're fighting, the daughter's boyfriend goes to like look at something troubling out the window. Ty West goes to look at what's happening and gets killed by a fucking arrow to the face, which is great. Classic Friday the 13th. Love an arrow. <laughs> and we're like, what, what, 15 minutes into the movie at yeah. that point? Like, it's very early on. It's pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not one of those ones with a ton of buildup. And then, yeah, to your nope. point before, it like never really lets up. And yet it also doesn't feel exhausting or like contrived to me. Cause I mean, for one thing, there's just so many people at the start. Yeah. So this starts happening. Our Australian final girl, whose name I should really know. What's her name? Erin. Erin. Erin like springs into action all commando style. And she's like, all right, everyone like stay low beneath the window or like get a chair, stay low and like hold this chair, like a shield in front of the window. And, run into the rest of the house. And that's the first thing they have to do. And then immediately we have like four casualties, like a ton of people get killed or arrowed. The Our other director gets an arrow in the back. They decide that somebody should make a run for the car and who's the fastest. And so our nice guy, son, Aaron's boyfriend or husband or whatever, I don't care, is like... <laughs> I'm the fastest. And they're like, no, you're not. You're fat. And it's like, oh, my God, you guys just like come together. This is like America in 2020. His his defense was, I'm not fat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Which he said several times. Stop it. I used to be fat. I'm oh, not anymore. Oh, sweetie. <laughs> I had a round face. Yes. That's what he said. <laughs> He's just big boned. And then the daughter is like. I'm the fastest. You guys never believe in me. You never let me do anything, which I feel like ready or not just like fully appropriated. <laughs> Having the daughter, Emily, who's just like wildly insecure in this survival yeah. situation. Let, let me at her. Yeah. So I won't detail every kill because we'd be here all day, but like this is a pretty great one. So basically they decide that the daughter who's having big feelings about this 
is going to be able to be the one to make a run for it. And so it's like very dramatic. There's a lot of lead up to this. They like show it in slow motion. She runs out the door and immediately gets clotheslined by piano wire or something (laughs) and cuts her throat and bleeds out and dies. And then a bunch of other people die really fast. You're just like, okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) What was funny to me is like, their decision to let the youngest child in the family and their only daughter. I was like, think about this. You have several large adult sons. One of them must be expendable. Pick the one you love the least and have him. Whose boyfriend just died uh, in front of everybody spread out into the dark in the night of whatever rural scape they're in and run where to whom to say what we don't know, just go. And they made that decision in under 10 seconds. It was really astonishing to me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they also like don't seem to take seriously this thing that's like never really touched on with the mother who is medicated and like a lot of things happen. This whole movie actually one after another is like the plot happens because no one takes the woman seriously. So like the father doesn't Mm -hmm. take seriously the mother who's like, I hear footsteps upstairs and he's like, Oh, do you want me to go up and look at what it is? I have a candlestick, which is very funny. Um, I have a candlestick. I'm going to go check it out. And then they don't take seriously the value of their daughter in their lives because they just send her out who clearly have this situation. To be fair, she does date documentary filmmakers who uh, only show it underground circuits. I'm just kidding. She's bringing in the least financial value, so yes. she's got to go. And then they, it is not considered when we see kind of how things play out that a plot has gone down not factoring in the physical and intellectual fortitude of one of the women who are going to be present. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Never underestimate a woman. We can survive anything. <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I couldn't even give you a blow by blow, but basically a ton of people die. We can all talk about our thoughts on that and specifically what happens later. And then we have two big reveals. One that the, I don't know, shithead son number three or whatever, and his girlfriend Z, the one who looks like Jane Marie or Louise Brooks, I guess that they in classic Jared Leto and panic room fashion have like hired townies it's townie horror again ding ding right yes it sure yeah. is by the way the director of story of echoes wrote panic room ah that's great <laughs> i love panic room a movie about two lesbians just fighting for their lives intergenerationally <laughs> 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 two women in the closet if you will <laughs> So we have the big reveal that shithead number three son and Z have hired townies to do all this and kill the whole family, evidently. We assume so they can inherit the parents' money. Like, I don't even know if they mm-hmm. make that explicit at the time. It's just like, oh, of course. Classic Menendez. <laughs> or is it? Um <laughs> So then we know this, Aaron figures it out. She has to try and survive. And as far as we can tell, her partner is dead because he's, you know, just a nice soft boy. So clearly he didn't make it. And then she manages to survive and kill the Z couple who are coming right for her. And she blends the guy to death, which I loved. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure out the mechanics of it, but I, I wanted to believe it. Totally. <laughs> so shout out to Gremlins. I mean, it did take it out of me slightly to find myself thinking, like, is the human skull this 
fragile, really? Like, I hope not. It's pretty fragile. It's ridiculous and it's fun. Yeah. But it also gave an opportunity for her later to deadpan explain to someone that he is dead because she put a blender on his head. <laughs> yes. I wish she'd said that she blended him, but like beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this movie is like very bloody, but also not terribly over the top. Like I feel like it has people dying in fairly realistic ways most of the time. And then maybe it escalates kissed at the end. And so in classic, like final, final, final reveal fashion, the phone in her brother-in-law blended, blended guy's pocket rings. I was so confused. I thought this was the soundtrack. And then I think it was just a ringtone. And she picks up and it's her partner, nice guy, being like, hey, is everybody dead? I just couldn't hang for that. It was very stressful when it was so bloody. So is, is it good? Can I come back in? Okay, I'm coming back in. And then he's like, hi, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, listen, this is all going to be great because I, I never wanted for you to get hurt. I didn't really expect that you would be like such a commando. Ha ha. But like my plan was for you to be the witness and the upside since you killed, you know, the people I was plotting to do this with is that. We get all the money. Yippee. So like, let we can go to Paris. Let's go to Paris, sweetie. And then she kills him. And then a cop who's just shown up finally shoots her. I love it when the cops show up and ruin everything at the end of a horror movie. And then final, final, final scary thing. She's like lying there still alive, but not doing great. And the first cop who showed up is coming in through the door that she put a big booby trap on earlier. And we're like, oh, no, I remember that. And he gets like something very heavy to the head. He didn't make it, you guys. And that's the final beat. The only clarification I want to offer, just because I think it's going to play into conversation later, is not only does he offer like we can go to Paris, he offers to pay off all of her student loans. I also wrote it down. So that she does not have to work her job that she doesn't like anymore, which is in the service industry. Yes, he's just like Theodore Lawrence. (laughs) I loved it. He said we can get uh, engaged in Paris and also very practically I'll pay off her student loans. I, You know, that's quite an offer. Well, it's also (laughs) just like the Faustian bargain one it's like a slightly over the top version of the Faustian bargain you have to play for the fact that like you were told at 16 years old or 17 years old that you should take out, you know, six figures Mm -hmm. uh, as a means of justifying your education. Yeah. So that's what what your next is about. And I love after, so she, she does like a home alone style kind of booby trapping of the house. Cool gimmick. There's a camera flashing in the basement that is somehow used. I couldn't quite follow it, but it's somehow used to kill a bad guy. And then after the cop gets hit in the head with the anvil or whatever that could be, the final thing is just like your neck in blood splashed on the screen. And then fun pop music brings us out, which I thought was a really cool ending. I loved that ending. And it's funny. So I went to see Smile the other night and really didn't like it. Like there were aspects of it that I enjoyed, but I was like, well, and I was annoyed by the fact that for no reason, like as far as I can tell, this has no thematic connection to anything that's happened in the movie the entire time. It ends with Lollipop by the Cordettes. And I was like, is this just happening because it's like the law now that you have to put an ironic, right. cheery pop song at the end of your horror movie and people are no longer thinking about why they're doing that? I think it's like, if I had to guess, it's some kind of focus group testing where like the audience will <laughs> walk away with a very positive feeling about your movie, even if it was shitty. Oh, wow. If you play them out on pop. That makes total sense. Ugh. That's a great point. 
Sari, do you, this is certainly something that I think we both appreciate is when this is done well. This is a great example of the horror comedy genre. I think this mm-hmm. is the thing that you loved about Ready or Not when it came I out. Did. Like one of my most formative movies ever growing up was Monster Squad, which was one of the best mashups of these things. I mean, Ghostbusters is one of the best horror comedies mm-hmm. of all time. Little like, Monsters. What? Little Monsters, another great <laughs> horror comedy. Oh, yeah, shit. There are a lot of horror comedies like for children intentionally or not. Older millennials got a lot of good horror mm. comedy, I would totally. say. Totally. And I'm listening I'm like now I'm listening to a lot of books written by horror authors that are very clearly written by men 38 to 43 because you mm-hmm. get the amount of like references you get to this media that was clearly formative, huge. Mm-hmm. So what yeah, what is this, why do you think these things work together? Well, I just saw Barbarian, which we both loved. Akila, have you seen that movie? I have not. I really liked it. And I was just texting last night with our friends, Kelsey and Miranda, who need no last names, but Kelsey Weber-Smith, who is our frequent guest in our podcast world. And Miranda, who will edit this episode. Yep. Hi, Miranda. (laughs) And they had just seen Barbarian last night. And I was like, okay, I'm excited to hear what you think. And they went in and I watched Zombie, which was fun, but not as over the top as I expected. And then they got out and we're like, we loved it. And we were talking specifically about something I was really noticing the effectiveness of when I saw it, which is that I don't think this is a major spoiler. So we get we have like an opening act, which is very scary, and escalates into me a very effective and creepy and then outright truly like, terrifying way. And then we cut to like, <laughs> Justin Long driving down the Pacific Coast Highway, just having the time of his life. And just looking stupid. Yes. <laughs> Singing Donovan. <laughs> and then a series of events leads him into this house that we started the movie with. And he goes into what is clearly a scary murder basement. One of the things I love about this movie is that, like, we have a woman who, like, goes in and is, like, something terrifying. Like, I guess knows. She's, like, something very bad has been going on here. And the male characters who go in are like, cool, I'm going to go down in farther and see what's going on. (laughs) And so there's this whole sequence that I love so much where Justin Long like finds the terrifying murder seller and is like, oh, my God, this could add to the square footage of this house. And then he like gets (laughs) measuring tape and like measures it. And it's just like, just cheerfully... Alex, do you want to <laughs> describe this at all? I don't know. I just, I mean, I like, it's not surprising that our protagonist who is like from the get-go skeptical of everything was a woman of color and Justin mm-hmm. Long is Justin Long, who mm-hmm. is a landlord and assessing how he can use this situation to increase his wealth. Yes. <laughs> and, and that level of, and we talked in our episode about Story of Echoes about all of the shenanigans that senses of entitlement lead to. And, sure. and this is an especially funny version of that because his sense of entitlement leads him to not see the glaring danger in front of him. Yeah. And he's just, uh, he pays for it. Doop do do. And so what I loved about that scene, aside from all the themes, Alex, that you've just described is like, in addition to that, like you really relax. Like the first act is very yeah, stressful. Totally. And then you, to me, cause I was so tickled by this. I laughed so much that my body like fully relaxed. Mm. That's a great point. And then when it became very scary again, I felt like I had like relaxed. It's like you contract and you relax and you contract again. Yeah. And it felt more 
intense because of that. And I think that that's one of the things humor can do in horror. And I feel like so much of horror, the experience of watching horror or thrillers is like tension and release. Mm hmm. Tension and release. That's a great point. They're also there's they share that in common with like good erotica as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think one thing comedy also does is make characters likable and makes you want to invest in them, and so you care yeah. more about their plight. Um, and so it, I think it helps affect the stakes a bit. Now I'm on the ride with these characters. I enjoy them. I think that's what the dinner scene was doing in your next. Because we really don't know much about these people other than like, here's a dysfunctional family. The mom has like some nondescript ailment. She's just kind of drugged out and glossy eyed and sad for a reason we don't really know. And then siblings squabbling. And so it's easy to not really care about any of these characters. But I think that the brother who I thought was Adam Brody... (laughs) Like him kind of giving shit hit, him and his wife giving shit to the other siblings. Suddenly there's like an interpersonal dynamic that I'm, I can kind of latch on to a little bit. You can tell, I mean, goddamn, I can't imagine a better setup for explaining who everyone is than a three minute fight. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a good point. I mean, and even to the point where we first see Professor Softboy and uh, not Adam together <laughs> together for the first time and they get into a, f- it's it's one of those joking physical altercations that is not at all a joke. It is right. very much a display of a power dynamic. And like that itself, like that 45 seconds could be a metaphor for this, like how this entire movie works, which is like, mm-hmm. it's just a joke, but it's not a joke. It's actually yeah. very serious, which is a, a, a perfect description of the Justin Long character in Barbarian. Like mm-hmm. him on paper, the things that he's done and the th- the reasons why he is what he is in the movie is very difficult not played with humor. Yeah. It would be like a 1998 Oscar season film mm. if we were just dealing with what was on paper and didn't have comedy involved. But like yeah. comedy really makes a lot possible that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. Yeah. When this movie was starting, I was like, oh no, this is one of those movies that has a very muted palette and nothing's fun to look at. And I was worried because I was like, I feel like that corresponds with the movie just being totally unfunny. Like one of my issues with Smile was like, it was never funny. <laughs> was it supposed to be? Was that the intention? I, 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 I know nothing about Smile. No, it wasn't supposed to be funny. You just wanted that from it. it it's, it's not a flaw in its execution. It's just yeah. my preference is not for those choices where if a horror movie, if it's never funny, Like my needs are that it needs to be pretty to look at and it needs to be funny. And if it's not, then like, I won't love it probably. And this movie was like, I don't know. I just was like surprised by how woven into it the humor was. And it felt like Gallo's humor in the way of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre a little bit by the end. (laughs) Well, I also to the point about the fight and what fights reveal about people like there, like especially with like family stuff, like family dynamics and family fights, like there aren't. God, I, I'm hoping I'm not revealing too much, but like those fights that happen in this movie, like they're one step away from murder. You know what I mean? It's like oh, yeah. your fight with your family. Your family is the most likely to murder you for this reason, right? Where in real time, <laughs> and not even just for the interesting, but in real time, any fight is a litigation of your exact age worth of baggage. Yes. You know, it's not too far away from the imagination for it to end in murder, right? So like, so there's a whole genre of reality TV about this. There's a whole genre sure. of podcast about thinking about this. There's a whole genre of podcast about debunking this. But like, that's kind of what I like about it is that 
there's some absurd elements in this movie for sure and like there's a lot of the like splatter the soft skull stuff yeah there's some soft skull stuff but like if you took out the murder like this is just yeah. like an indie movie about tensions within family oh yeah this could clean up at sundance or like um like a holiday movie it's like those big christmas the whole family gathers movies. yeah <laughs> yes which totally. i could i could watch a whole movie that is no blood and murder just the brothers and sisters fighting and all of them vying for the inheritance and being the favorite and you know mm-hmm. the asshole because not adam's wife is also an asshole totally. <laughs> and and, and she, the way they rib Tariq because he doesn't make commercials. He makes underground documentaries. Yes, yes, yeah, totally, totally. That idiot. What a dick. But also just the choice to put Tariq and the sister in these, like the artist scarf, like as like character development, like, oh, oh you God. know exactly who this couple is. Like totally. they came with the big oversized, floofy, fringy scarf. Yeah, this movie could, <laughs> I have not seen Joe Coy's Easter Sunday, but this probably could be Joe Coy's Easter Sunday just with murder involved. Although this mm-hmm. is very much about like specific wasp drama. So I, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I was that, I've been in that couple. Mm. that goes to this family's house. You've been the guy with the scarf whose job no one understands. Oh, fucking <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. And then yeah. who, they use that as a launching point to talk about like what they are most interested in and yeah. to like also demean you. Sure. And then also the elephant in the room is like, you're talking shit about me and you work in advertising for a defense contractor. Yes. Yeah. This movie <laughs> would be a good double feature with Mystic Pizza, which yes. we just talked about. Totally. <laughs> Totally. It has a very similar scene in it that does not result in murder somehow, but it does result (laughs) in other shenanigans. Yes. And something I didn't think of until you mentioned that is that in the very beginning, when they're heading to the house, Aaron and Professor Softboy are talking about how his family made their money from like defense contracting or something. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, well, kind of breaking even by the end of this, aren't you? (laughs) I had a friend who like very like softly announced once without giving too many details away that they were essentially doing development work as an engineer for a defense contractor. And I've been in less tense rooms than (laughs) after I confronted everything about that. But Uh I can remember maybe on one hand, can I count? Those things, because in this, it's like he works for a defense contractor, but he's in advertising. Like somehow it's better. He's in advertising. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's and they kind of like gloss over it, and then we see everything that happens. That's like kind of related because that's how he's made the money that they're going to inherit. I guess is Succession kind of like this movie? Succession's like this movie, but they <laughs> reinvest all of the gore into tension. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is it? It's yeah. funny though, right? Funny, totally. yeah. I find it hilarious. Yeah, you need, and I'm sure it's funnier because you're like, hmm, so much of the time, yeah. Yeah, well, the releases are, it's to your point, it's like the opposite of Barbarian where it's like, uh, 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 uh. It's like you're, uh, the whole thing. And then someone <laughs> says a great whatever quip and it lets you release yeah. for like 30 seconds before the next. <laughs> yeah. I think it operates how I was saying comedy works earlier, which is like, I like these characters enough to deal with all of the terrible, like morally corrupt things that they're doing for season after season. <laughs> session, where it's like, but he's also really entertaining and funny. And so I can deal with it for another yes. episode, you know, because if, if they didn't have that, I'd be like, these are just a bunch of fucking totally. scumbags. And like systemically, like they like 1% Illuminati mm-hmm. scumbags who are ruining my life on a personal right. level. And I gloss over that because they're really funny. There's just something <laughs> yeah. though about like seeing 
I don't know what the difference is here, but there's something about a scumbag and then the way a person is a scumbag. And like Succession is about details the way these people are scumbags. Whereas if you were just like, okay. they're scumbags. It's like, yeah, they're scumbags who rule the world. Fuck them. But like when you see right. the idiosyncratic building blocks that create their specific brand of scumbaggery, you're like, I can hang. Because I know these people. Mostly well, yeah. like reading biographies of Henry VIII. You're like, he did what? <laughs> You also like know, I know in my realm of people who, you know, only make whatever, like a typical living wage, who look like or act like on their scale, some version of one of the characters in succession. Sure. At every level. level, (laughs) Akila, why is this a movie that you you were like, this is one that we should do together. Like, what do you think it does well? And why do you suggest it to people, if ever? Yeah. One, it's easy. Mm-hmm. It's an easy, fun watch. You know what I mean? If you like blood and gore, there's a lot of ass kicking and it's interesting each time. And like yeah. real skull bashing, bone cracking <laughs> violence done by a tough woman, which I enjoy. Yeah. And like what, yeah. one of the things I love, like, you know, I get tired of those movies where like the bad guys after them and they throw, uh, you know, a shoe and then keep running. It's like, no, she picked up a mallet and then she cracked mm-hmm. his skull 47 times. Like you're Loved not it. getting up. There's no world mm-hmm. in which you pop up again in act three and come get me. And so I love that about this movie. I, I love the family dynamics, which we talked about earlier. And then I love the reveals. Like it was, and I like a double reveal. So we know that Z and the, uh, the other brother were in on it. But then the second reveal that her boyfriend was in on it. I love that as well me too yeah so those are the things that really drew me to it do you feel like do you ever go to like someone else's family shit and feel like you've been dropped into this family and or or like some version of it like you know when you go and you're like these people are operating by a set of rules that like i vaguely understand but don't fully know i I wouldn't say yes family but what has been more than that is like a double date (laughs) where you're like oh this couple i did i had no idea that we were going to be sitting through this tonight. (laughs) I love the, like when we see them together and like not Adam, who's actually Joe Swanberg is like, don't kiss my brother. Like, and she's like, I can kiss your brother. And then it's like, what is going on with this? What is happening? Socializing with couples. (laughs) It's incredible. Like talk about walking on a wire. Cause like things could turn (laughs) so dramatically at any second. (laughs) I've seen it. So that, that's what I'm familiar with. (laughs) Where it's like game night with two couples and both couples are slightly on edge about some things that like everybody knows a little bit of information about what everybody else is going through, but nobody's really talking about it out loud. And then one game of dominoes goes awry. (laughs) (laughs) People are crying. Um, (laughs) A friend of mine is dating a new woman and he asked me to come to dinner with them. And, you know, it was fine. And then they got into like something triggered him. (laughs) I've known him for years and he's been very lovely to me. I've never seen the side of his personality, but they had a back and forth. It was about identity. I don't know. And family, their families, it went on for about 15 minutes at this restaurant. And I was just sitting there horrified. Oh my God. Oh my God. There was no way out. I got up to use the restroom. I come back. They're still at it. Like, like, don't you guys see me sitting here? Please stop. (laughs) I feel like that could just be your next movie. Just like a slight, you know, just add in a little more and then you're done. It's my dinner yeah. with Andre, only they're fighting. Like, yeah, that would be yes. <laughs> my dinner with Andre and his new girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and it's Wallace Shawn just still just still miserably eating his croquettes. <laughs> yeah, I love what I think that this movie does especially well is like that is that you're you are alien to the group dynamic and you have to just kind of like figure out what's going on and this movie does an especially good job of the thing that I love the most which is it shows you 10% of the character that reveals the other 90% and it doesn't mm-hmm. over explain any of it it's like yeah. you know enough that the you know professor softboy is you know like exactly the shape of his insecurity you know mm-hmm. how it plays out in relation to everyone. We all know 100 Professor Softboys, don't we? Right. You know, like a little bit about like that they were dating and then they decided it was inappropriate. And like maybe that was just packaged for this dinner table conversation. Oh, yeah. They were like, well, the semester's almost over. All, so. these, <laughs> all these little things just like hint at like what else is going on. And you're like, oh, God, I know. I know these people very well. There was one moment when I felt like we were getting too much exposition, which normally I just feel like that the entire time. And it was when a character was like, somebody's using a cell phone signal killer. They're illegal, but you can get them for like $30 online. And I was like, we don't need to know how much they cost. (laughs) On Amazon, using this product. (laughs) (laughs) Some nice integrated advertising. That's a nice way. What if you like made a horror movie? Where you had product placement, but it was for all the stuff the bad guys were using. That would be like very scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I had that thought when it's when the the mom and dad first enter the home and they say, "Oh, the the workers must have left the door open." It's like well, I don't think we need to, that to set up that the killers had moved into the house because, like, even if like one, why are you so casual about entering this kind of abandoned house in the woods that was open because the workers mm-hmm. left it open? Like that feels like you shouldn't be so casual about that. But also the killers probably don't need to go through the front door, but also if they did, they could have locked right. it. It just like wasn't necessary for the plot, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. When I heard that and then maybe like two minutes later, the, the mom was like, I hear a thud. And then the husband says, no, but okay, I'll go check it out. And he says, go outside while I check it out. And I said, well... That sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that feels like silly and okay. We're so so what I understand is that we're about to see characters make choices that don't quite make sense. And so when the daughter, mm-hmm. you know, is allowed to run outside first, I'm like, okay, I get it. We're gonna make some dumb decisions. Yeah. This is the dumb family. I did really suspect that we were gonna get what I think is universally acknowledged to be the deep blue sea scare where we think that this confident sort of commando like person who's going to safely lead as many survivors as she can through the night where like I was like Aaron's just got it coming they're going to kill her pretty soon and it was to me kind of a twist that she was allowed to survive and that we didn't have that rug pulled out from under us although she's facing some gnarly murder charges but sorry <laughs> yes I know I love that that is there too I love that they're gonna be like okay but but 47 times with the mallet yeah. you stabbed her on the top of the head like that's not a defensive wound yeah <laughs> well and, and also like I could see if you had like a vegetable cleaver or something you know but no and then it's like and on. then you got creative camera flash flicker happening it was very stylized are we sure that yeah. was necessary <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look, it's not my fault that I needed to do something cool in order to survive. This is totally like a flaw of mine as a writer. But like, so one, I'm a, a lawyer and 
my name in Arabic literally means logical and reasonable. Like I just need things to make sense and also <laughs> not to be super convenient. So the idea that she happened to be a survivalist, just like I get it. We need it. It's critical for the story. But the fact that the professor who's going to scam his parents out of inheritance happened to bring the survivalist to the dinner party, which is a critical plot point, just like it's a little too convenient for me. I, But I do. I agree. Like, I don't think you need to yeah. be a survivalist for that to work. Also, if you're a survivalist, you mostly know about guns, right. I tend to assume. Maybe not in Australia. But. Well, and in our beloved Ready or Not, we just have the will to survive is what gets our, you know, like intelligence and the will to survive yep. is what gets our character. And a great scream. And a legendary yes. scream. But like, what I do like that that serves is that he does not know that about her. Like, that says... Yeah. So much mm-hmm. about him like he we already know how fucking self-involved this guy is like he's deliciously self-involved that it's perfect that he doesn't know about her background it's perfect it is yeah and to speak of like the nice guy paradigm like to me what that essentially means is somebody who because they're sure of themselves as a nice guy they can justify doing anything to right, anyone totally. Yep. What I also wanted to like know more about is and this is just me not like maybe I just don't know like long family money in that way. So I just assume that they're fine. Like, why do they need this money so badly? That they're willing to wipe out the entire family to get it. And so for me, I feel like in a writer's room, we'd be like, OK, somebody's about to lose a house or somebody needs a life saving right. surgery. Like so, somebody's having trouble getting pregnant and IVF has wiped out their stash like something. It's just otherwise it's like there's a family who I'm sure his parents, it sounds like they have enough money to like they probably helped him with a down payment, I would have assumed. And mm-hmm. so it's like, what amount of money was it? And why did you need it so badly that at 30 something you needed to kill your whole family? You're like, I'm tired of waiting for these fuckers to die. They're <laughs> jogging too much. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this or who directed it. We should probably find that out. But like, based on my experience of having dated into this family and other families like it, that little exchange we have between the dad and Professor Softboy, where it is revealed that he applied for a fellowship, but he hasn't had anything published lately. And the father's like people who aren't published also get fellowships. Like that's such like an interesting reveal into like how supportive I think this family might actually be, which is, which is like, you know, this is a family where like heirs are very important and appearances are important and like success is important, but like you're pretty on your fucking own about achieving any of that, which like Mm -hmm. I'm kind of on both of their sides in that situation. Like I'm on the son's side for the dad being a dick and I'm on the dad's side for being like, yeah, maybe you're the problem. <laughs> I just can't identify with that. There being enough money on the table and <laughs> yeah, that anybody needs to die for it. And I guess like I'm still <laughs> greedy. So <laughs> yeah, rich people just always want more. Like it's very clear like the, And I feel like, yeah, this is the thing of like your parents clearly do kind of suck. And you're just like, well, you're not really adding anything to my life. And you have a few million I'd like to get my hands on. And um, I hate all these people enough to do it, I guess. And like this movie does like leave a little bit more of that. To I, I don't know why I'm now very unfairly just contrasting this with Ready or Not, but I'm going to is the thing <laughs> that I do like about this movie, not 
as opposed to, but they think like this movie leaves a lot of that to the imagination. Whereas like we get the over the top motivations of the parents and like the power structures in ready or not a little bit sort of more explicitly, but this is just like a regular well-off psychologically abusive at all times in any instance, wasp family doing their thing. Yeah. The fact that they greeted each other by shaking hands also communicated a lot about who this family is. Yes, definitely. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. (laughs) It's my Tommy boy quote. That's beautiful. (laughs) I feel like so, Akilah, did you watch many like home invasion type movies when you were doing your research or kind of? I'm wondering about how this compares to the other stuff that you looked at. No, I didn't watch a lot of home invasion stuff. And really the, the ones that stick out of my mind that I have watched in the, in the last few years, it's the same movie and over, over and over again. It's, there's one called Obsession. It's like there's a genre of black home invasion movies where there's like one of our famous 90s like stars, Nia Long or Sanai Lathan or Taraji P. Henson. And there's a stalker guy. And then somebody comes to the house. I've seen three different iterations of it. And then the women have to like fight their way out of the house. That sounds incredible. And I did not watch those for mine (laughs) uh, because uh, that's not quite what I was trying to do. But I wanted to, what I liked about Ready or Not and this one is that I wanted to see the various ways that these women are kicking people's asses while also like ready or not to me was very funny, <laughs> funnier than mm-hmm. your, your next, your next is just really just like the comedy I think was the, the shitty brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, like her kicking ass was not, but she did. She was humorless about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. She didn't learn comedic ass. She was in the wrong part of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't talk a lot of shit, which I think is also yeah. a way to inject comedy into these things. You know, one good, quip after you you know cut somebody's head off or whatever although she did hold up some guy's head and said does anybody know this guy after she killed him <laughs> which i thought was pretty badass that was beautiful <laughs> that was pretty badass i so two influences for the movie that i'm writing because what i decided is that comedy is more of a strength of mine and so mine is more of a buddy comedy and it's a satire and so mm-hmm. stepford wives the reboot mm-hmm. the remake mm-hmm. and get out would be the ones that are kind of closer to that's what i landed on after watching a bunch of different movies. So knowing that these are movies that you're focusing on and knowing that you're looking at home invasion movies, but you've, you've kind of set, settled on these movies, like what are home invasion movies about? Like what is it touching on? What is the tension? Like why is it a, why is it a trope? Or, or you're stuck in a thing and you need to get out of the thing. Why, why are these themes? A stuck in a plot, as Gary Marshall would say. Yeah, I think it's also, it tends to be stuck in a place that you thought was safe. Like it tends to be a place mm-hmm. that you were retreating to. And so the idea that that bubble is the one that has been burst. So like a lot of times it's some people coming from the city, going to like their rural escape. And then that illusion of safety being shattered. I think is what's appealing to it. And then, you know, we like a survivor, you know, mm-hmm. and the idea that somebody's defending the home front, right? I think is a very, Amer- it appeals to Americans in particular. Well, and yeah. And the, if someone survives, it maybe suggests that we, we will survive the trap that we are not going to. <laughs> I wonder if, and I think, you know, there's so many reasons going into this and obviously the home is sacred no matter what culture you're in. But I wonder if America having like, very little in the way of public space and like a public expectation of like lack of harassment ability to sort of just like be in public for free without being bothered about it. Just if the home is even more important because Mm -hmm. the world is so hostile. Mm. 
I don't, I, that's a great point. I don't know. I like it though. Sounds, it sounds right. To me. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think of the fact that the reason that people want to poop when they get home from work is because your body is like, we're safe now. We can poop. <laughs> we're safe. Your body knows. Yeah. That's a great point. I think there's probably also some commentary about materialism because a lot of these homes are like, you know, it's a second home, you know, it's like, you know, with all the fancy decor and gadgets and whatever um, and how, that won't keep you safe. Right. Yeah. In one of the in yeah. one of the types of movies I was talking about, Gabrielle Union stars in this one, um, and it's called Breaking mm. In, I think. And this home is like a smart home. Her father, I, this is off of memory, but her father was like the CIA, somebody, something, and so <laughs> his home was fortified with all of this technology that was supposed to keep them safe, and then it, it didn't end up doing it. So there's. You know, I think sometimes when the people who are coming up with these movies are trying to poke a hole in the illusion of like our material goods will comfort it and keep us safe. Yeah, this is how I, I don't understand why anyone and someone can prove me wrong and I'm sure someone will. But I don't understand why anyone thinks that a lock that can be unlocked by a cell phone is a good idea. <laughs> like, I don't understand that at all. Alex, technology has never been manipulated. Not once in its life. I'm like, it's already, it's a lock. It's a technology to be manipulated. Like, add a flimsier technology to it. Like, your fucking cell phone. Like, I don't, I don't get it. So I'm glad there's a movie that's gone there. You know what I find <laughs> fucking scary is the hackability of baby monitors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are some terrifying stories about that. That's a free horror movie idea. It's radio. It's a hundred year old technology. It's very crackable. Yeah. And it's also now crackable in a new way. If you have like these smart ones that like, you know, where the internet totally. is involved, like apparently it's haha -ha, child's play to hack into one of those for a lot of people. I'm not trying to freak people out, but that's scary, right? Yeah. But we're all just like, yeah, but technology is already in our homes. We can't stop it. And this was the conceit of the new child's play, which is fun, is that like it was like a smart, oh. it was a smart toy. And that is the way that's like mm. part of the way that it's haunted. You don't even, it's that, which is kind of great. But Brad Dourif wasn't involved. Unfortunately. So it's dead to yeah. me. <laughs> it's, Sarah, Sarah will get around to watching all these great new horror movies 30 years from now. Yeah. You know what? I'm making great time though with my Scary October. I have watched... 22 movies. I'm glad to hear Wow. It. And it is the 11th. I'm glad to hear it. So like, a day. I'm wow. on fire. You are on fire. I yeah, can, maybe anything could happen. You're like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? <laughs> 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 a great home invasion song. <laughs> it is a great home invasion song. <laughs> One thought I had, and I had the same thought with Ready or Not, which is that these women finding themselves in horrible predicaments where they have to fight their, their way out of a house. They have to kill they're serial killers now and like, you know, bloody battered. <laughs> and you look at the men who got them in this situation and there's like no chemistry. He's bland <laughs> as fuck. You know what I mean? Just, and I recognize that it's yeah. necessary and all that. But I'm just like, oh, my gosh, for Professor Softboy? Or like, totally. you know, whatever. <laughs> for that guy at the opening of the movie with that, like a, the, his attractive TA, that guy. I know. Looked like Sask. I mean, that I love how, that guy shows up in movies a lot of the time and I love him as a look. <laughs> but he looks like a Sasquatch. He looked pre-dead like, <laughs> before he got killed. I love this scene where we see him dead sitting in the uh, yeah. sitting on the couch. And then one of the intruders is just sitting next to him, like thinking or whatever. Yeah, I love that. That, that was, was so great. funny. There's yeah. a great yeah. version of that. I feel like that happens in. Oh, we actually just experienced that in um, 
Blue Velvet is the guy who's standing in Dead, and he, it's yes. so jarring. But also, I feel like there's a similar scene in what is Jordan Peele's movie that came out after um, Us. Us. There's a great like dead guy sitting. I, I think it might be played by Tim of Tim and Eric fame. Oh yeah, I love a person who's sitting in dead for whatever reason in a movie, and we just don't see any movement from them. I like that. I don't know why. I love that, and I also loved this. Totally felt like an homage to Halloween where he like cocks his head slightly, which is Mm -hmm. what Michael Myers does when he's got PJ Souls' boyfriend pinned to the door. And just that like, again, like the blank slate of it that you're, he's just kind of like, huh? Yeah. I really like that point that you brought up, Akila, is that like, you know, these are essentially cautionary tales, you know, Mm. to listen to your gut, (laughs) because clearly both of our protagonists in both of these movies had a number of opportunities in which they didn't listen to their gut about these people, which landed them in this situation. And we get that Professor Softboy says as like one of his consolations is, and we could get married. And it's like, what? first yes. of all, why do you think that's on the table now? <laughs> Second of all. The consolation prize is you get to marry me, sweetie, <laughs> knowing what you do about me. In our house of trauma that we'll live in forever. Even if I didn't know any of this about you, that's not on the table. You know, like, listen to your gut. And I do feel like that is what wasp marriage really is is about where it's like marry into this rich family and we have killed everyone historically (laughs) and we'll kind of continue to do so or at least like maybe we'll like frown on it but we won't stop it from happening and just like marry us and get our money and be okay with that yeah we've moved on to like advertising weapons not just making them directly but still (laughs) like our our cousin does make the weapons though (laughs) yeah you know and we and then this house was built by the money from the weapons and he kicked us a contract and so that's why we advertise (laughs) exactly exactly that's exactly right yeah And I love movies about, you know, and the Stepford Wives to me totally falls into this of like, maybe more the original because I can't remember like how deathy the newer Stepford Wives is because like in that one, they don't kill you and replace you with a robot. They just like update your hardware or something. Right. But yeah, these movies that are like, you know, rich people are always like benefiting from people dying and so it's like really kind of a short trip for them to start killing people with their hands or you know probably hiring someone to do it but like yeah it being more direct totally all right well we know that the uh, uh, weapons manufacturer uh, advertiser is a father in this movie that's it that's all we got for fathers in this movie uh who uh, in your view is the daddy this will be especially funny considering we seem to only remember one person's actual name <laughs> Like, I mean, it's too easy to say Aaron. It's gotta be Aaron. Struggling survivalist, right? Like, and I'm like, is there anybody else who could possibly? I want to be more creative than that. Like, maybe the, one of the mass killers. Yeah. Um, the, this movie like, serves like, you daddy on a platter, really. It really does. It really does. It's difficult to avoid that. Yeah. We didn't talk about the killers with the mask on, but they're brothers too. So, like, that was interesting to see that right. all these brothers got killed. But in the process, he lost his own brother, which was interesting. And to the point mm. of sort of any of the stuff we're talking around thematically, they were veterans. Yes. Which is a really interesting thing. They're towny veterans. And not veterinarians no. like Lee Pace. Yeah, with the defense contractor dad. Like there's some something in there. Right, right. They're <sighs> contract kill. I mean, oh, they're essentially like contract killers, not unlike, you know, mercenaries. <laughs> that's like mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. They're just working on a different mission, which is fascinating. 
And I'm sure they also have debt to deal with. They've got, you know, a, a lien or something. Totally. They're being, yeah, exactly. They're being pragmatic about it. They don't have to be sold Professor Softboy's uh, proposition. They're just like, we're just going to take care of the debts at home. So in terms of daddies, I will say that I enjoyed that Z, Z our bad lady villain, got to be like comedically evil for a moment where she was like, have sex with me on this bed next to your dead oh mom. God. I love And her that. boyfriend was like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, this is a bridge too far for me. Like, I know I picked you because you are this person, but that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> and she essentially was like, we never do anything anymore. Fine. <laughs> totally. I love that that's where his line is. He's got a line. Yeah. Like when someone doesn't want to order a bottle of wine with dinner on a Monday, you know? <laughs> Before five o'clock. It's like, wait a minute. What's fun uh, upon rewatch is once you know who's in on the plot, going back and watching their mm. reactions when the killers first come in, as people are dying, you can kind of see who <laughs> was in on it and wasn't, which I wouldn't have known, of course, on the first watch. But the second one, I was like, oh, okay. They're doing some pretty smart, like subtle acting choices to let us know that this is not entirely a shock to them, which was cool. Yeah, and it is like it's there are so many horror movies where like you have a big reveal at the end and you're like, oh, I'm surprised. And then if you watch it again, knowing that you're like, it doesn't really hold together, does it? And that's like kind of a high bar to pass, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> Alex, daddies. Um, I just I just like what it's this is not the same credentials I would use or the same qualifications I'd use for any other episode. But I appreciate the brand of bitchy Joe Swanberg's character is in this movie. Okay. Like, I really, I just like of all of the deplorables, I like his brand of deplorable the most. I really enjoy it. Well, what does he do? I'm... He's the one who has the, the arrow in his back and he's the one who, yeah. who pivots the conversation from underground documentary to commercials where like he thinks that's where the true art is, is so good. It's so a thing that I have been a, I've been engaged in, in conversation and seen happen a lot of times with that particular kind mm -hmm. of entitlement. And yeah. it also just represents like an actual attitude that I think a lot of people have. Yeah. It's really He's funny. been watching those David Fincher commercials. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for bringing this yeah. to us, Akila. It's been, this is super fun. I'm glad we got to spend Halloween with yeah. you. Yeah. Me too. And thanks for having me back again. Oh, it's always That's a pleasure. Lovely. Always a pleasure. We'll see you again soon, I hope. Yeah. All right, everybody, that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode and for editing as well. Thanks to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. Like I said up top, we just put out a new bonus, which you can access on Patreon or Apple subscriptions. Next week, we'll be talking about Clue with Lauren Milberger. It was a wonderful conversation. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at YouAreGoodPod. Uh, you can find that list of spooky things to engage in uh, the show notes. We appreciate you so much. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being with us. You, my friend, are good.